Hello, and welcome back to another edition of Fun Friday with a very special guest, of course, a partner, a capital raiser, and a friend, Barrett Oakley, founder and CEO of Oakley Capital and founder and CEO of Southern Property Management Group. Did I get that correct? You did. You nailed it. Thanks, Very good. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, you are up to many things. We were just talking for a couple minutes here before, of course, getting on, uh, just to kind of figure out how we're going to structure and navigate the show. But we have so many directions to go in. So first off, let's just start with a simple question. How did you get into real estate? Yeah, so I was, I had graduated from college. I was working over in Atlanta and the company I was working for was acquired and I started thinking about it and I was like, you know, and now I live in Birmingham, Alabama. I've been here for over 20 years. And um, I was like, wow, what, what do I really want to do? And I had some friends that were in the industry, in the, in the apartment industry. And uh, my brother was in it and I asked him how, how he enjoyed it and he's, he loved it. And I was like, wow, that's something I, maybe I should pursue. You know, I could see myself doing that. And so it was just a timing thing. And got into multifamily, you know, back around 2005, you know, right when it was about to get really good. And so it was a good, uh, just a, a lot of it luck, but, and then it turned into, you know, now we got to do the hard work. So, uh, that's how it all got started. And, um, you know, one thing led to another, uh, we, you know, we, we get going, we start working and we do our things. And we're, so we started like the old fashioned way, you know, back then it was, you know, drive around, find some distressed assets, pull it up on, you know, pull the tax records, reverse uh, phone number, look up on the whitepages.com, which you can still do all this stuff, you know, it still works. Uh, but, uh, and then just start calling people and um, okay, well now you've got someone, maybe there, there, you've got some maybes after a hundred phone calls. Right. And uh, I basically harassed this, this older man for about three or four years who had this kind of, dilapidated portfolio over here in South side of Birmingham and finally got him to, after many times taking him to coffees uh, at the coffee shop and over years and years of just being patient, he finally agreed to hold the note for us because we didn't have any money. You know, I mean, they're like, the bank's like, who are you two goons? You know, my brother and I, you know, we're like 22. Uh, and like, what are you, what are you doing? This place has one tenant. Uh, the numbers don't pencil. We're like, you have a point, you know? So, um, <laughs> thank God, Richard, my old friend, Richard, um, he saw, he saw something in us and, uh, he, he held the note for us. We filled it up after a bunch of sweat equity. Um, I mean, literally there was a prostitution ring across the street at this new development that stalled out whenever the, the market stalled in 08, 09. And so a bunch of squatters were across the street supposed to be this big, beautiful development that our friend uh, and mentor uh, was was in charge of. And he's like, we're going to punt, guys. This is not going to work. So um, that's what we got across the street. So that didn't help us with the lease up at all. But we got through it and we went back to the bank and they're like, good job, guys. And we got a loan with the bank. We paid Richard off and off we went. That was our fourplex, you know, Highland so Oaks. That was the first acquisition in, in the real estate world. So you said that was roughly around yeah. 2009, 2010. Tentatively then? That, that was like, um, that was more, yeah, that was like 07, 08. Yeah. The, the first real one that we had somewhere back in 06, maybe. Yeah. Somewhere back in there. And um, so that, was, that was the first real estate investment. That was it. Yeah. Fourplex. So very cool. And so um, you were working with that company before it got absorbed. And then 
as you mentioned, you've got about how many doors now under management for, for the property management firm that you created? Well, after, after last night, I had a great, we had a big win last night. And so we're just shy of 10,000 doors. Wow. Um, and is that, those so are single family homes you said? They are, they're, they're comprised of single family homes, townhomes, uh, and condominium associations. So it's all so, owner driven, no, no apartment. We don't manage our own apartments. Gotcha. So this is more of a mom and pop kind of owner, kind of like a turnkey venture solution where someone effectively buys a place and kind of throws the management to you and you put your systems in place there effectively. Well, think, think about large residential gated communities. That's what we manage. Okay. So we're running all their business for them. So we're managing all the common areas, all the, all the owners, all of, you know, if they have tenants, all of clubhouse leasing, tennis courts, golf courses, whatever's there, any amenities that they've got, if those are going to be rented, anything like that, we're paying all their bills, negotiating all their contracts, um, everything top to bottom. And the board makes the decisions. So the board sets the policies and we operate based on those policies that are, you know, outlined in the covenants and restrictions of that community. So how did you get into that? So you, you clearly, yeah, because <laughs> I mean, property management <laughs> to scale up to that too is very impressive. I mean, that's a lot of volume we're doing there. So I'd be curious to know how you got into that, how many employees you have, what sparked that, and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah. Great question. I get asked that a lot and I'm like, yes, I signed up for this, you know, because it is management is not the sexiest job in the world. Believe it or not, not. it is incredible returning revenue. If you can do it, if you put the right systems in place, but being in the weeds in the trenches, I say this all the time. I don't want to be an operator. We're obviously operators at Lone Star Capital, but I raise equity and get to do the fun stuff like schmooze people like you, take you out to dinner, you know, drink the wine and have the steaks and let, you know, the the, the hardworking people actually, you know, have people move and move out and, you know, collect rents. I don't want to do that. I want to do the cool, fun stuff, at least in my opinion. So it's crazy sure. to hear your perspective, which you do both the teams because you obviously raise equity, but you, you know, scaled a property management company from nothing to everything to, to 10,000 doors, where you probably at one point were, you know, snaking uh, you know, uh, plumbing lines, things of that nature to now probably automating the process. Right. But at some point you're probably doing everything. So I would love to hear that inception. Yeah. So I, you know, back when the market turned sour in 08, 09 and all of our clients, when we were at the brokerage, we were, you know, I used to work for a multifamily brokerage company after I was a landlord tenant rep, after I worked for a leasing company, after I leased office space, like, so I've done a lot of these things. Right. And I realized that management is thought of as the underbelly of the real estate world. Right. But I bought an investment here in Birmingham. My dad had one next door. This is a condominium association. My cousin lived there. Uh, and our management team was terrible. I was like, why is it taking so long to get someone on the phone, someone to come over here? We've got a gutter that's hanging off. This place just got built, you know, Four months ago, we already have issues. What's going on? We had a board meeting. I walk in there that night, not running at all, but I was, I left that night, elected the board president. And I'm like, why are you electing me guys? Um, I have no experience. Uh, they're like, well, you always have the answers. And uh, off we went. I say, like, well, I'll do it for half of what they're charging us. I'll hire a CPA because I don't want to handle the money. And I've got a full-time job at this time, managing a million and a half square feet of office uh, up an office portfolio in Birmingham and Oklahoma city and uh, throughout uh, the Birmingham Metro for these guys out of South Florida. And so I just did it in my spare time. And then the, the property next door, 
they they started asking because they were developed about the same time. They started asking, well, why is this place looking so good? And our place looks kind of crummy. You know, the grass is greener over here. Everything just kind of looks neat and tidy. Right. Uh, well, some guy named Barrett owns the unit in the middle and he's managing the property. Well, can we talk to Barrett? And this is like people walking their dogs out on the sidewalk one day. Like, sure. So somebody came to me and they're like, would you be interested in talking to this place next door? They want to kind of bolt onto us uh, in a way and, and have you manage potentially. And so I talked to them. We started doing it. Um, again, you're talking about a six unit and a five unit, nothing major, right? They like, just do that in your sleep or behind your back, whatever. You can still beat this other management company in a, in a ring all day long. And uh, that kind of snowballed into being at a charity event one night and a lady comes up to me and she goes, Hey, I hear you manage condominium associations. I'm like, well, not really. You know, um, I've got this other, like my major job that I, that I do. And uh, she said, well, could you help us? We've got 40 units and we're in dire need. And the same management company was managing them. Um, okay, sure. I'll, I'll think about it. And we go back and forth, we end up doing it. And then we get the one across the street. So it's the same thing. And I started to realize the light came on. It's like, you know, there's probably a business here because I'm not saying this is true for all management companies. So I don't want to stereotype, but if you just hired the right people and had a really strong team of people who were sharp, cared and had the team approach, you could probably do this and, and run circles around the competition. And here we go. Right. So it was very organic with the growth and I quit the other job and I was like, I'm doing this full time, you know? So, uh, that, that, that's, that, that's how we started uh, Southern property management group. And the great thing about Southern property management group is it, it actually has worked and, you know, it's allowed me to invest a lot of money into multifamily, you know, value add deals and, uh, build to rent communities over time. And so, you know, um, and we've got an awesome team and I love the people that work with us. Well, so. you know what the light bulb is going off of my head is cause you obviously, as you mentioned, just start, you own that unit there, or that piece of real estate. Then you started managing and then the property is around you. And then the person across the street from you calls, okay, well, if that doesn't look as nice as mine, that inherently affects the value of my property. So selfishly, well, why wouldn't I want to manage these all very well, create a better community to uplift appreciation and have some control there. So you can completely can kind of control the neighborhood quality control in that regard when you do in fact have your fingerprint there. So it's definitely a, you know, a, a selfish interest can sometimes have uh, everyone's best interests all aligned together, which is definitely being accomplished here. So you start scaling up here, you go from kind of, you know, doing this as a, a spare kind of almost hobby to uh, a full-time thing organically, as you mentioned, at what point does a property management company become profitable, scalable? You know, what, at what door count does that start to really start becoming ROI positive? And then at what point, you know, do you think you need to start hiring on uh, more people to assist and automate the process? Good question. You know, we, we were starting with just such small communities that it was just like, again, it was like, Hey, let's throw a lifeline to the place that I, you know, had vested interest, right. My dad, my, my cousin as well. So it was like, let's just get this squared away first of all. And so started with that. And then we started getting all these little communities around there. And I think we probably got to 50, 60 doors where I said, okay, I need someone to do this. Like I need a, you know, an assistant and put an ad on a line of all things Craigslist 
is where I found a lady who worked for me for 10 plus years. who was an absolute stud. She'd been in the management and development business for over, you know, uh, 25 years at that time. And she just was uh, amazing. And so she helped me build the company. And uh, so off we went, she started as part-time. I worked from home. I worked from home when, when work from home was not even a work from home. Like it wasn't even, you know, mentioned it was like oh you go to the office do all this. I'm yeah. like we've got to yeah like we're going to run this thing lean uh and reinvest in the company you know and, and not you know pay an office lease so that's what we did and so we invested in our people so i kept giving her raises and bonuses then we brought another person on as we grew and it just started going i mean and i think where it really took off is where we met some developers who you know are just building new communities and you're just kind of there from the very beginning. And so as we say, like, you're just kind of catching the car, right? When it comes off the assembly line, but you help build it. So you help them, you set them up for success with their governing documents and things that, cause everybody's got blind spots in life. Right. And you learn over time, I can help you and you can help me find those blind spots, you know, if we trust each other. So um, yeah, that's how we kind of got to where it was scaling we started adding more people on. Now we have to answer your question in a very long-winded way is we've got over 10 full-time people uh, and we we deploy some really great technology to automate a lot of processes for us. We've also got, you know, we worked with 190 third-party vendors last year. We have two maintenance teams of 10 men plus that are highly skilled that I uh, hired once they kind of proved themselves to me as just being a third-party vendor that was just always dependable. We, we brought them on as our maintenance team. So uh, that way we, we don't have to worry about third-party people not showing up on time, smoking at the property, cussing around children, whatever, you know, um, and they're, they're punctual and they stand by their work and they do great work or I wouldn't have hired them to begin with. So. Awesome. So that's the property management side. It obviously took about, you know, almost a decade and a half's time to scale it up, to start it, to realize there's actually a business endeavor there. Let's talk about capital raising and real estate investing. So you obviously had a sweat equity deal there where you uh, charmed someone knowing you, of course, I, I don't see uh, you struggling with that side of it, but you're charming someone uh, into uh, and persuading someone into obviously that the acquisition there. But when did real estate capital raising kind of become a also kind of part of your business and something that you do? Because you obviously raise a lot of equity. Uh, you're in multiple asset classes you alluded to. Um, so just starting it in the inception there, was that also an organic thing where you kind of had the inherent interest to want to invest yourself and you kind of like, hey, you know, a country club raise where, you know, are you guys interested in this as well? So what was that kind of origin and inception story? So that that really started, you know, percolating in my mind, uh, I'd say, you know, five, six years ago, really seriously, because I was investing my own money. I saw it was working. And then it's like, you turn into this evangelist almost. It's like, and my grandmother said, I always thought that you'd, you'd be a preacher growing up. I'm like, no, this is about as close as it's going to get grandma. I love you. But, um, you know, um, so, but I was like a real estate evangelist, if you will. Right. And so you see it working and you're like, well, I want to share the good news, right? Because it does, you know, and it's, it's a pretty nice deal. And obviously I love it or I wouldn't have built a company around it, but um, yeah, the light comes on for you and you're like, I want to share this. It's good news. And couple that with the fact that if you have a fund like we do, um, 
hey, we all win when we go together, right? And the the bigger checks we can write, the 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 better the economics get, you know, because we're doing we're it's a win win, right, for for both parties because it saves you guys time uh, and anyone we invest with time. Uh, and we've got our core group of guys, plus we're bolting on more and more and more as we go along. And so why wouldn't you do it? Right. It's fun too. I mean, it's look, the management side of things can be a real bear some days. I mean, you're like, what am I doing? Um, and you're just grinding it out capital raising. It can also be like that sometimes, but as you alluded to, there's a lot more fun things to do. You know, once you get the work done, um, outside of the office, so to speak, uh, you can go play golf. We can go, you know, to dinners, celebrate the wins. That's a lot of fun. Right. And so um, it, for all those things uh, and, and many more is, is how we, we formed Oakley Capital and why we did it. I have to imagine the synergistic relationship as well between having a property management company, seeing the pitfalls of that, realizing the incredible emphasis and importance that property management and operations to a deal has is beyond crucial. So I'm sure on your end, when you raise money for a group, um, the scrutiny that you probably place on the teams, the operations is really immense, which probably helps you pick winners better than the average capital raiser. Would you think that you kind of attribute a lot of your success in that space and, you know, picking good deals is from your kind of acumen and background with regards to kind of the, the operation side? Uh, 100%. You can be a great underwriter. You can know your model. You can know all those things really well. But hey, you close the deal. Now the real work begins, right? And how do we manage this asset? And what kind of numbers are we looking for? What what kind of KPIs are we looking for? If I and and so that I think about that a lot, Craig. It's interesting you say that because if I wouldn't have started SPMG, I wouldn't be as good at doing what we're doing at Oakley Capital now because you need to have that well-rounded uh, skill set, frankly. And so you know where the red flags are when you see underwriting that looks bogus. That's back from the brokerage days at the Oakley Group where I worked with my brother and um, that company ended up getting acquired by what is now Vercadia. So you go back to those times and that, that experience. Then you go back to SPMG, which we're still obviously doing today. And that's all we do is build budgets and look at monthly financials, income statements, balance sheets, you name it. Uh, collections, huge. You know, how are, how are they doing on collections? How are they doing on the CapEx? Like we've got all that. I mean, we, we, I'm, I'm eating and breathing it every single day and everybody on the team is too. So it's nice to know that those muscles have been you know, worked constantly for the last, you know, 15, 20, almost 20 years. God, I'm dating myself, but um, getting on 20 years now, man, time's flying, but it comes in handy. You can't beat experience sometimes, you know? So um, yeah, that yeah. is, uh, that is 100% true what you were saying. And then, so with that said as well, you know, what are you looking for when you're going to make a real estate investment or when you're raising for a deal from a group perspective, you know, how you vet the sponsor, what metrics you're looking for, how do you get comfortable? Because naturally, you're a charming guy, you're very well connected, you know so many people. If you raise money, deals will somehow find a way in your inbox. So how do you kind of decipher who's legit, who's credible, who's worth your time? Um, because obviously, you know, capital is slightly limited in the sense that there's only so much we can raise. And frankly, there's only so many deals you can look at a time. You know, unfortunately, it's not like we can, you know, raise and 
build relationships with everyone. You kind of have to be um, very, very particular and you have to have a, a probably a, a nice guard up with regards to saying yes and no to things uh, by things that mean deals. So, you know, when you're looking to write, make a real estate investment or raise capital, what are some things you look for? And then I guess also on top of that, from a sponsor perspective, you know, what gets you comfortable or uncomfortable? So the process it, it sort of goes like, I'm going to, I'm going to do my homework on the first look at, look at their background, look at the track record. What are these guys about these guys and gals about what are their core values uh, or are they just kind of blowing smoke? Right. And so I'll do a lot of homework and, any anytime before we make a decision on on an operator, there's a lot of time that goes into it, and a lot of watching and um, you know seeing how their operations go, looking at their numbers, obviously, uh, looking at the deal quality. Are they really spread out, or are they hyper focused on certain markets, uh, which I truly believe you should be. Um, and uh, so that. Those are the the starting points, and then you know, then I've I've always invested my money first before I even bring anybody else in. So I'm the I'm going to be the guinea pig, and, and when I'm comfortable enough to do it, I do it myself. It's um, what I do with Lone Star, as you know, and um, I loved you guys' processes and and how things are going, and so that got me comfortable as well. But you've got to just know what people's core values are. You got to get to know them. You know, that's why I flew to New York to meet with you guys. And, um, really enjoyed that conference. They, whoever's watching this, um, they put on a, an amazing conference every year. Um, so book your ticket while you, while you still can, uh, it's going to sell out. So, um, save me a seat, Craig though. Don't yes. let it say, save mine, uh, uh, perpetually please. But, um, yeah, so those are, those are all the things really have these guys had, you know, successful exits. How are they operating? Are they vertically integrated? All those things that like, I mean, I've got a 200 to 300 check, you know, check mark uh, checklist in my head. And I've also got a spreadsheet for it. But so we go through all that highly scrutinized people because you know what? You're going to be either friends or enemies with them for at least five years. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I fly to the properties and, you know, I flew out to, you know, some of our properties that we we just acquired. I walked those properties um, and we're going to continue to do that, you know comb through the financials every single month. Um, it's trust, but verify. I mean, I love you guys, but it's, it's my, it's my capital. It's my, my other friends and people who well, trust me to do those things. It's my money and livelihood too, because I'm reliant upon the upside for my life. So we want you to scrutinize that. And frankly, you know, there's some partners who I don't care for them to walk the properties. I, I don't need them to because they just don't know what they're looking for. And they're going to cause more of a nuisance than, than value. But you, sure or the latter of the, the, the equation there, you are someone where it's like, actually would be curious to know your takes. Where are the blind spots as you alluded to earlier with the management company, right? Where are the pitfalls? Where could this go wrong? And I guess, do you work with anyone who's not vertically integrated from a sponsor perspective, or is that one of the pillars that you need to see is vertical integrations, or do you have to get really comfortable with the third-party management? I do not work with anyone with Oakley Capital that is not vertically integrated. I, I think it's a risk. Okay. Um, we have our own apartments that are not syndications where we do work with some third parties, but we have longstanding relationships with them dating back to when we were brokers. So we know them. They're here in town. They've been in business for over 50 years. They're strong. 
and they've got their they've got great construction crews. They've got great people to perform the capex. They can go in and execute a business plan um, at a high level. So we're okay in, in that sense. Uh, but that is the only exception, and that's just my own money and not anyone else's. So I, yeah. I truly believe that. And I and again, dating back, you know, going back to the management experience, I know what these managers do. They just stack on new properties, new properties, new properties on these managers trying to make more money. And they're spread so thin that they can't even get to the to the maintenance. Well, I, I was going to actually know. mention that as well. I kind of feel, and this is something, a pitch that I truly make myself. And this obviously, of course, is not uh, subject to uh, your property management team, but it feels like property management is a slight race to the bottom in the sense that they do just enough to not get fired, but just enough where they can stay there, collect the fee, and then add to the portfolio. And then if you get on their case, they'll do enough and then they'll they'll be left alone and then cycle, you know, repeats, so on and so forth. So would you say that's a pretty accurate description with every other management company for the most part, ex- with the exception of yours, of course? Yes, of course. Not not with us, but that is the trend and that is what we see. And uh sad but true. But that is why we we tell our, you know, our clients. And so I understand that. Right. And I'm like, look, I own a bunch of property. A lot of people can't say that when I go pitch for SPMG, it's like, look, I'm a real estate guy. And they're like, I'm like some of these other people that you're talking with, they may or may not know things about roofs. They may not know things about plumbing and they might not do HVAC and have all these vendors that work for them that give them really great feedback on top of what I've experienced over the years by doing all that stuff. And I just know that that's what they do. And so we're still thought of as a boutique, even though, you know, shop, even though we've got almost 10,000 units, they're like, oh, that's beyond boutique. And I'm like, the, I'm like the manager, you- the manager that I'm putting on, on your property. I was talking to somebody yesterday. They've got two properties, two, that's it. But they're great properties. They're huge. They're big revenue properties. I mean, they're, they're high end, like some of the nicest communities that are here. Um, and, you know, the board may be high maintenance, you know, because there's a lot of people on it, you know, but that's okay. You know, and so if you can give, I mean, if you can give people a boutique experience, but still have 10,000 doors, that's probably the business model in the equation you're looking to solve for, right? Where they can actually get a hold of you or the, you know, decision maker, key people, um, and still feel like they're getting great service. Uh, but you, of course, know the scale, what you got behind you there to, to make it happen, obviously with your team. So that's probably the special equation to solve for if you are in the property management side. Yeah. Very true. Very yeah. true. Easier said than done. It's, it's a, it's a battle every day to do it, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so what type okay of deals, it. what type of deals do you typically raise for? I think you mentioned, obviously we're multifamily, but would love to uh, explore the other kind of routes that you, you, you bring capital and equity to and that you invest in personally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mostly multifamily, as you said, I'd say 70% of that 75% has always been value add uh, here lately. We're seeing some, opportunities that we haven't seen in in quite a while where you don't have to go in and execute some radical business plan. Um, and you know, it's like you're, you're foreshadowing and it's something that we we may or not be working on. You're coming up. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Uh, and then, then we've done some build for rent. We've got a lot of build for rent communities that we've invested in uh, me personally. And we even did some mobile home communities in Tennessee, um, not long ago, which we've exited and did very well on. So, uh, that's, uh, that, that's, you know, it's, it's like, Hey, I mean, we've got a pretty rifle approach instead of a shotgun approach. It's like, let's just get hyper-focused on what we know and stick with that and really dive in. 
Yeah. So multifamily all the way. We love it. It's funny you should say that because you clearly with your, you know, acumen of being able to see homes, see, you know, built to rent communities, multifamily communities, it makes sense for you to invest there. Similarly for myself, obviously I have the insights and the insider knowledge, frankly, with Lone Star Capital. So naturally I'm going to invest heavily there. But similarly, I know single family homes like the back of my hand, having sold over a hundred of them and toured thousands of homes. You know, I know the ins and outs of a house, what, you know, trouble falls uh, may be, you know, where to, you know, basically park your equity into a, a good property, where to put your money if you want to improve it, so on and so forth. So I think it's so key and crucial to have that and that experience there and to invest in what you know, because then you truly get insider like returns. With that said, what are some of the key metrics that get you excited or nervous uh, for a deal? You know, what is kind of there to make you say yes if someone kind of throws you a deal what's the story what's the narrative uh are you a numbers guy are you a story guy are you a vintage person or are you pretty agnostic you know let us know what what gets you to say yes to something or kind of gets your your juices flowing good question yeah so i i would say story start we start we always start with story and then we get into vintage and history of the property who's who's had that property what's it look like financially what's it look like physically um those are the first questions that go through my mind because look i mean you know you've been doing this a long time i mean the returns are all i mean if somebody if somebody's got something out there and they're promising this crazy irr that's unrealistic you're like Wrong. and then these these yeah. these rent bumps that are going up five percent every year you're like no absolutely not not even three percent not even two percent sometimes it's like okay Let's get real here. So we'll stress test it. I expect the operator to stress test it as well. Uh, so I'll stress test their stress test. And then I'll, I'll put a little extra on it just in case. And, um, and then, yeah, and I'm, I'm all about some, some later vintage these days. Uh, nothing wrong with 70s, 80s, 90s, even, you know, I've got a lot of that in my portfolio. And, um, but if, you know, some of the, sometimes that stuff can, limit you, you know, you, you kind of get to where you can't really push those rents and you can't really keep, you know, improving something, improving something, improving something that's just old. And you're just like, this is it. This is, this place is kind of peaked. Well, and, and I always want to exercise caution to people. And I think the, the canary in the coal mine on this one was certainly experienced in 2021 and 2022. And you're going to laugh at this, but if someone bought a place for 19 million, call it in 2018, and they're selling it for 35 or 40 in like 2021, 2022. And then they're also a sponsor looking to make a 15 to 23 IRR, which is what a lot of people kind of typically come in for, which 23 to me is a little high. That sounds like a project level if it's a good deal and that's even ambitious. But how yeah. are you going to take, you know, the deal that went from 19 million to 35 million and then go from 35 million to basically like 45 to 50 in that period of time? 19 to 50 million dollars in a condensed period of time means you're gonna have to push rents on what's been pushed that's not realistic you can't put lipstick on lipstick on lipstick th lipstick thinking you're going to over improve a property moreover there's only just a natural barrier to what a tenant can pay so right. you know something i really think about is how many times has that property been turned over in that period of time and i'm so happy you just mentioned that because there's only so much you can do now if you're buying a place that is 70s, 60s, or 80s, or whatever it may be, that last traded in, you know, call it, you know, in the, in the OOs, or maybe late 90s, perfect. There's probably a lot mm -hmm. of meat on the bone there. It could be a mom and pop operator. It could be some institutional group that just, hey, 
their basis. They made a bunch of money on it. They can kind of let go of it. You know, maybe they're going to be less particular on getting the highest price. They just want certainty of closing. And maybe they're looking to retire and put their money somewhere else. That's the story that I like. But when I see a property has been flipped, 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 okay, massive red flag. You're the sucker who's buying this. And you're going to sucker that the bank's going to, you know, take the property from, or you're going to be the suckers that get capital called or in a zombie property or in something where you aren't going to push any value there because there's no value to be created. You know, you're basically the end buyer there and you better get it for a good basis and, you know, at, at a handsome enough cap rate because you're probably not going to push yield on cost much more. That is exactly right. It's sort of like musical chairs. You do not want to be the last guy, you know, when the standing up ends, there. Yeah. You, you have no chair to sit in and you're, you've just caught a falling knife. Yeah. So um, that's that's never good. Uh, you described a bunch of great scenarios to look for, uh, ideally yeah. in the story. But, you know, we you hope to buy those. That. Yeah, now, now we want to buy the properties, <laughs> frankly, that are you know bridge maturities coming up, or they got, they've got a floater and they can't make their debt coverage payment or whatever it may be, and we're kind of here locking, you know, licking our lips, thinking, okay, we'll buy it probably between you know, the price that the first seller bought it for and the second one, maybe somewhere here where, you know, we can't push it too much, but if we just buy it here and sell it for roughly around here. Well, then we'll collect the spread, obviously. So that's kind of what we're looking for. And I don't think we've discussed that premise on, you know, this uh, fun Friday show yet. So I'm so grateful that we've kind of organically kind of went there because that is something to look for. And, you know, just generally speaking, it's like, hey, if you bought a flip, how do you think you're going to flip a flip? from a home perspective, it doesn't make sense. Right. So why right. are you not applying that same logic and rationale to a multifamily thing? And I think we're all so, we're so conditioned and trained to this quick money culture that we'd seen with cryptocurrency kind of from 2019, 2018 to 2022, where, where we saw a wild bull market and, you know, wild, you know, inflation and, and money printing where money is really hot, quick and easy to come by. And now I think everyone's sobering up and not drunk on interest rates anymore, where we're really in the nitty gritty days where someone like yourself can actually apply, you know, rational logic and reason with regards to an opportunity where we can find value to be created there, but not a situation where we're buying the third flip and, you know, taking a property from X to you know, an outrageous number. It just doesn't logically add up. Right. So true. So, yeah. So how it's totally switching gears now, segueing. You were nicely the guinea pig to our back office uh, preferred partner, TriVest, which if you're working with Lone Star Capital, we recommend TriVest because there's a very nominal drag on the fund, fund to fund program. However, we invite you to use whoever you want. I just always like to preface that we don't want to pigeonhole anyone's doing anything. It's just we do truly recommend uh, the great people with Travis, Seth, uh, and Brandon over there at TriVest. But you nicely were the guinea pig there. Uh, I think you actually fortunately got to meet them as well in person, which likely knowing you made you feel more comfortable with going that route for Beckley Highland Emeritage, the Houston three property portfolio, which we mutually closed together on uh, back on National 1031 Exchange Day. Other people call it Halloween. We call it the National 1031 Exchange Day at Lone Star Capital. But you are the guinea pig there. And I would just love for you to have a testimonial here as to your experience with them, the process, and just overall how it's going since inception there. And it sounds like you must have liked it enough because you're re-upping with them on a new project we're doing here together, which will be coming out maybe in a month or, or half month's time or so. Yeah, they were, number one, they're great people. Right. Uh, before we even yes. talk about how great their, their program is and how great their tech is and what they built there, uh, 
and just the the streamlined uh, process that the, that they have. They're just great people, you know. Uh, got to know Travis uh, in New York. Uh, had you know, so we got some quality time together. Really great uh, to to see him there at, at you guys' conference. Uh, Brittany, who works for Travis, she's amazing. Um, and the whole team. Uh, Brandon, it was the first one I ever spoke with. It was Brandon. And he's like, okay, we're, we're doing this, you know? And so I was like, let's do it. You know, there's going to be some bumps in the road. Anytime you do it for the first time, I said, but guess what guys? And we had to say it a couple of times because you get to these, you know, little mile markers and you're like, okay, well, don't worry about it. We're going to get through it. Um, and there's always going to be better ways to do it. And so we've even gotten more streamlined in just the short amount of time that we've known each other and kind of worked through things together. So I'll tell them, Hey, this is what I'm seeing on this end. And you tell me if you see anything that I could be doing better too, I'm, I'm coachable. So, um, always stay coachable and we have. And so that's the kind of relationship I've built with them in such a short amount of time to where we work really, really well together. And, um, version 2.0 that we've been working on for our upcoming opportunity is light years better than the first, first time that we did it. And it was great the first time. So I couldn't say anything more about those guys. Um, they were really excited when I was on the phone with them. They didn't know about their conference. And I was like, are you guys going to New York for the conference? Like, no, we didn't know about it. I was like, come up there. Let's, let's, let's all meet up there. You know, Travis like I'm in, you know, and Seth came from San Diego. It was great. And so, uh, yeah, they're they're all in. They 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 eat, breathe, and sleep it just like we do. And uh, you can tell that they really care, uh, and they've got a really great vision going forward too. They can certainly see past their headlights, you know, as we say. And so, um, I like Travis's vision for the company. They're always improving uh, and innovating, and that's that's the kind of partners we want. Yeah, you know, and the thing I think about Lone Star Capital and makes me so proud to work at this firm is. I came in at a point where it was functioning, it was a machine, it was well-oiled. But even in my experiences being here so far, we're all looking to get better. Everyone's ideas are heard and listened to from partners or mine. And now any little improvement that we do will just be incremental. It'll be a little tweak because it's not like we need to totally reinvent the wheel here, but it's just perfecting the wheel. It's getting a little bit smoother. It's getting a little bit better. It's really truly trying to get 1% better each day and for the little things, but the incremental tweaks do make the process better. So just so people don't hear it from my voice only and they can take it from someone who's done it themselves actually, what is the process? Does it truly take five days to get the bank account set up and to get everything associated, set up with the fund, with the blue sky filings? You know, Can you kind of walk us through what that whole process looks like once more? Just so those who maybe have not caught the episodes and I invite you to look back at the content bank. I did an episode with Dasha who does the onboarding with Travis for the first episode of Fun Friday and then a joint episode with Dasha as well as Brandon uh, with Trivest with regards to the process there to kind of walk people through it. But do you mind just kind of sharing what that step-by-step is just so people know uh, from someone outside of Lone Star and outside of Trivest, but a, a mutual third party for a testimonial live here, uh, what they can expect if they do partner with Trivest? Sure. Yeah. So yes, they, and they will take it. I mean, I, the, the, the difference between what I was having to do before I knew Trivest, uh, which we have all these things in place. We've got attorneys, you got people, you can file all these things, you can do all these things, all the things that they do, but it's a one-stop turnkey shop to do all of that stuff that takes a lot of time. But you don't and want to do. it's 
you don't want to do stick to what you know, stay in your lane, just start. And for me, it's like, go raise the equity and like, let's use TribeVest to their abilities because they're great at collecting everyone's signatures, getting all the docs out, filing, like you said, everything that needs to be filed, um, setting up your wallet, setting up the bank accounts, all those things. And that takes forever. Um, it's just all that admin back office stuff that really is so, so nice about partnering with, with TribeVest and they just do all that for you. It is so streamlined. It's just a great experience and it saved a ton of time and they, they have a very fair, you know, price for doing all that. And so, uh, and again, it's, it's the people, you know, it's, it gets back to the people. To me, it's always the people uh, that make everything in life. And um, if they weren't great people and they were, you know, a bunch of jerks, then, then uh, I, I wouldn't want to work with them. Um, so they're, they're, they're great folks. And I just, uh, I couldn't say anything better about them. Well, you're putting your money where your mouth is and are truly, you know, mean what you say and say what you mean, because you were the guinea pig, as I mentioned, and now you are re-upping with them as well. So that is a testimonial with actions as well as words. So thank you so much for uh, highlighting that and then being kind enough to re-up it and to speak here on the show uh, and give them some praise. With that said, moving on to kind of the back part of the show here, I'd like to ask people just kind of their pulse on the market. But with that said, what assets do you think will struggle the most here coming up? It's likely we're heading into a recession. I mean, I don't care if they haven't announced it yet, but everyone's feeling, you know, their their dollar going less far and kind of a pinch here going on. You know this better than anyone else. Operations are about to be struggling throughout, you know, properties and whatnot. That happens here. That is the lesson. Uh, we'll get into your hot take, which kind of goes into that segment there as well. But there's certainly going to be, you know, worse collections are coming up. But what assets do you think will struggle the most? Obviously, office is an issue, but do you have anything else outside of office or did I just take the answer from you? No, I mean, yeah, I think obvious, the, the obvious answer is office. Uh, we've all read the headlines. I mean, who doesn't read the Wall Street Journal? I mean, you can find an office, a negative office headline just about every day. And I think it's unfortunately getting worse um, in a lot of the, the larger markets. Some of these tertiary markets are holding on but it just really depends on that market, you know? Um, but I'll tell you, and, and maybe it's not asset class. I think it's, it's, it's more, I think the, the root of the problem is these guys or gals got in and they got the wrong debt on a lot of these deals. And so if they got too aggressive, they didn't have fixed rate debt, they had floating or they had construction debt, something like that. And now things have stalled and they can't get the rents they were hoping to achieve. And they had this wild, aggressive business plan and they weren't conservative. They didn't stress test. And they were just trying to ride that wave that we had, frankly, for about five years. I mean, I look back to like 17, 18 and I, you could do no wrong. Right. And it's like, you could be very green when it came to all of this and still survive and still pump out a 15 IRR for your investors, even if you were just like not even present, you know, in a lot of ways, you know. And so those are going to be the ones that are going to struggle. Um, you know, I, I am uh, my, my heart and soul is in multifamily and I, for multifamily, for me, it's, it's just that that's the, if, if their debt profile was wrong on a couple of these deals, they've got to unload it, but that's what makes a market a market, you know? And that's, that's where, that's where we've 
been able to, uh, you know, take a deal or two um, from from guys that have a big portfolio and they got a they've got a shed one that they got a little too aggressive on, and that's okay. They're still going to be okay in most cases, right? I mean, they're big operators. And the deals we're buying, uh, that wasn't their first one, you know, in a lot of cases, right? And so they're going to be okay. We'll all be okay, but um, big lesson there, you know. Yeah, for sure. Well, on the flip flip side of that coin, what assets do you think will do best coming up? Yeah, I think you mentioned build to rent is what you're in. Mobile homes is what you're in. That's obviously mobile homes and, you know, workforce housing is epitomizes recession resistant, right? Because, hey, you know, last I checked, people like that do blue collar jobs. You know, a lot of tech workers got laid off, right? Naturally, you know, everyone's struggling a bit. Unemployment will kind of spike here, but it doesn't seem like unemployment spiking too high and kind of the more blue collar workforce like jobs, right? So, I mean, that said, you know, what do you think we'll do best coming up? Do you think it's kind of exactly where you're positioned currently? Or is there anything else that we haven't mentioned that do you think will we'll also uh, achieve good results uh, despite the market environment? I'm a big believer in workforce housing. If you take care of them, they're going to take care of you. If you're a great uh, manager, uh, you know, it shows and, and you'll have sticky tenants and they'll stay there with you. And uh, if you've done all your homework, again, this is all going back to, on the front end, did you do enough due diligence? Did you really inspect how many times that property has been sold in the last 12, 15, 20 years? Um, what are these operators like? You know, what is their track record? What are their other properties look like? Did you look that up? Did you go drive by those other properties to see? Or did they just throw a bunch of lipstick on this one because they are going to list it in three months, right? And pump all their operational people there to really make it look great for you whenever you start doing your inspections and walkthroughs. Uh, if you've done all those things, I don't want to say it, it the, uh, I'll just say you're set up for success. It, it doesn't always take care of itself. You've still got to operate it at a high level and, and pay attention, uh, be hyper-focused on it. But if you've done those things and you've got the right debt on it and you weren't aggressive in that regard, and you're, you're happy just saying, look, we're like in this market we're in right now, like be happy to get 15, 20% IRR. It's a down market, but that's really good. You know, instead of just sitting on the sidelines and hoping it's for this magical day to come that, oh, it's time to reinvest now. Like, no, that magical day's not coming. I don't know? think it's ever felt good to, to invest. Like, I don't think anyone's ever felt like, I mean, it's, there's obviously unicorns. I have a big believer in this every single day, obviously not on weekends, something can't close, but you, you get the analogy, what I mean, and, and the phrase sure. and what I'm getting to here is that every single day, no matter what the market looks like, if it's going super hot, if it's super cold, if it's just neutral, someone out there bought a deal that just made them very rich. And it'll only take some years for that seed to grow and for the fruit to bear. But every single day, someone is doing something like that. And, you know, I don't think anyone's ever like, oh, wow, I stole it. It's very rare, at least for that to occur, you know, especially in a space that we're playing in. We're playing in institutional assets. The market's very well covered. You know, these yeah. big, you know, REITs and pension funds uh, that are equity shops that work with sponsors here are not dummies. So it's really rare to get distressed. And we, we are obviously experiencing some distress if you're, you know, at a maturity point or, you know, maybe some people bought, bought the deal and are so positive equity, but they just want to get out of it because they say, Hey, you know, we're done with this one. There's nothing we can do. We'll take a 10 IRR or an eight IRR. We'll roll it to the next deal. And that's that. And that's fine. That's not, that's not the end of, that's not the worst case scenario. Right. So I, yeah. I do think that is a, a good point there with that also said, what is making you most excited about the opportunities coming up? Is it just basically getting in at an incredible basis with all these with all these 
distress opportunities coming up? Like what is really getting you absolutely stoked and getting you out of bed, excited to raise equity for deals currently? And maybe even the property management side with that, if you wanted to go there as well. Yeah, I'll tell you what's been exciting lately is, as we've mentioned, you know, you've got these deals and these guys have got to get out of them for whatever reasons that we've, we've talked about, but the risk profile is really low on a lot of these, you know, and that's, that's, you know, cause in, in the big wave we talked about a minute ago from say 17 to 22, uh, where you could kind of do no wrong. You just, again, that was like, the, it felt like musical chairs towards the end of that. Right. And now we've got a reset and, when you have a reset and you can buy at such a low basis, not a lot of risk there. If you're buying a quality asset, especially if it's an, if it's a newer vintage, right. In a great location that may or may not have, you know, a lot of development coming in in the next few years around it. Right. And so those are cool things. Uh, great things to, to know going into the deal again, knowing the property history, um, who's been operating it, and why they've got to get rid of it, knowing that story. Those are the things that get me excited because like you said, we're buying institutional assets. You don't hear of, oh, I stole it. That's like in a residential kind of scenario. That's in a mom and pop scenario. We're not buying that kind of, we're not buying no. four flexes in Southside anymore with prostitution rings across the street. Thank God. Yeah. You know, so, hey, you know, um, so we're, we're dealing in, in at a level where you're not going to hear that. So this is like a huge huge opportunity that we've had in the last, you know, call it three, four, five, six months and going forward for the next year, because that's just really kind of starting, you know, and if you're this, and this they know that you'll like an 18 if, month window, I think personally, sorry, yeah, to direct, but yeah. I think it's 18 months and JC Clemens, I said, said this a billion times, but when we were meeting with him just right around our event, of course, in October, mm -hmm. He's like, hey, it's right now. It might be six months, might be nine months, but the window will be here and gone. So if his act prediction is correct, we're talking about, you know, basically July, you know, things going back on and, and institutions being bringing their equity back, which will just compress cap rates. So this window may come and go very quickly. Yeah, I feel like the institutional capital is waiting on this day to come. Like we, I mentioned a minute ago, where it's like this magic day and it's probably going to be the first or second rate cut this year. And But right now, let them sit on the sidelines, man. That's more opportunity for us. We, yeah. we get to go up in an asset class. Like we get a, we get a later vintage stuff that we'd be competing with and, and driving the prices up. We're actually going to get it at a much lower basis, like you said, and huge opportunity, huge opportunity right in front of us. And so we got to capitalize. Yeah. With that said, final question. I like to ask all the guests. We went over this before and I loved your answer. What is your hottest real estate take? So my, with that notion is, I hope rates don't get cut because if rates get cut, institutions will probably be back in. If rates stay higher, we'll obviously uh, see more distress. Loan Star is very fortunate right now. We're selfishly, you know, we've got fixed rate debt and basically, you know, 14 of 17 deals, the deals we don't have fixed rate debt, we're just going to be fine on those. No capital calls or prep infusions, so it'll all be okay. Uh, but that said, we want as much turmoil and blood in the streets, if you will, uh, in the market as possible just because we can buy as much as we can. Obviously raising equity won't be easy, but I'd rather have the struggle be there, not on finding a good deal. So with that said, what is your hottest real estate take? My hottest take would be, don't miss the lesson that we're getting right now. And what do I mean by that? I mean, you got a lot of these 
guys and gals that were late to the game syndicators or they were trying to ride that wave or they're picking up that property that's been flipped essentially you know, with five different business plans in 10 years and you're trying to still raise that bar one more time and it just doesn't make sense that you get too aggressive. So the lesson is don't get too aggressive. Be conservative with your underwriting and really, really pay attention to who you are going to invest with. Know that operator, know their know all their operations, you better have gone up to their office and met them in person, looked at the team members in the eyes, looked at the manager, for example, over in Houston and said, do you have this? How, what, what's your, what's your feel on your operations right now? And, and let him talk to you for a minute, do your homework on people and don't just spray and pray as, as they say, when you get into um, the deals, because everybody can put a great presentation together, you know, PPM looks great and okay. Yeah. This and that, but it's like, you should really do your homework because now you see some of these guys got too aggressive. They overpromised. they under delivered. They had this crazy business plan where the rents were just going to magically go up and up and up, even though they've been raised five times in the last 10 years and very aggressively and they've got floating rate debt or they've got construction loan on there. It's like, that doesn't work. That doesn't always happen, you know? So you're better off just staying conservative and uh, and just operate the, the heck out of it, you know, and pay attention. Uh, but don't miss the lesson because this market teaches you, it, it'll slap you on the wrist, you know? Um, and sometimes it's, it's a paddle on the butt, you know, for other guys. And so um, we can take a slap on the wrist here and there, and, but that's how you learn your lessons. But don't miss the lesson of, of this market that we're in right now uh, and the people that you associate yourself with. I love that. Any final thoughts before we uh, let you get on with your day and enjoy the country club? Oh man, just, uh, you know, I, uh, I can't say enough about Lone Star Capital. Uh, I can't say enough about TribeVest. You guys are just great people to work with. And uh, we just had the best experiences with, with all of you. Uh, and I, thank you for having me on, on the show today. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to teeing up with you soon, Craig. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Well, I got to get the game in check. I got TPC Scottsdale right after uh, the waste management with my family in town. So I got to tone or hone in the game, but look forward to uh, putting it up on the tee and letting him rip with you. We really appreciate your business, your trust with us. You know, you're one of the first people I think about when I need to ref get a reference out there. Uh, so we can't thank you enough. We're so grateful for you uh, to be part of the Lone Star team and family. Uh, you're someone we always want to call on and raise money from. You know, we do have pretty good optionality this day with, with regards to capital raisers, but you're without a doubt, when I think about people I want to work with, you're, of course, one of the first calls. I truly mean that. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for coming on Fun, Fun Friday, and we will see you guys next week.